So here's what we're doing. We're going to go in the next couple of weeks, and, and we're just going to be walking through the eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. We're going to go from the very beginning, uh, but from, from the very beginning of this, we need to define a couple of things. We need to bring to the surface pr- really a, a misunderstanding that's kind of gone through the, 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 the centuries on the understanding of two words, and they may be the two most misused words in religion. Maybe specifically, they're the most misused words in Christianity, and these, these words are faith and believe. These two words have, have just caused all kinds of, of different feelings in the, in the hearts of people that are trying to understand, what does it mean for me to have faith, and how is it that I believe? So what I want to do at the very beginning is set aside theology and religion, because we know what these words mean when we talk about them at home. We know what faith means when we talk about it at home, but when we get into the church, we're like, I'm not exactly sure. We know what to believe means when we talk about it at work, but when it comes to how can I be sure that I believe, it takes on this different feeling inside the church. So for some reason, we just get it all mixed up. We know how it works out at home, at work, in other areas of culture, But here we are, and even now you're going, do I really know what faith and believe mean? See, outside the church, we base base belief on evidence. We base it on evidence. What you see, the things that you see, the things you observe, the things that you read, the accounts that you read, and, and really what we decide, what we believe based on the person that is delivering the information. So when you were a kid and you were going through math class and you started learning your multiplication tables and you understood that that one group of nine is nine. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Thankfully, I picked a number that wasn't higher than what we have on our hands, okay? So... One group of nine, nine, okay. What about nine groups of nine? How many of you started writing out nine rows of nine just so you could count out to 81? And if you didn't do that, you should thank your teacher, right? Because you had faith in your teacher that as they taught you how to go from simple addition to multiplication, that it worked, So most of us aren't going to go around and and try to to figure out all these groupings for our multiplication tables after we understand that as a a basis of knowledge, right? And so there are a couple of ways, though, that we come to believe things. So we believe that 9 times 9 is 81, right? Yes, it is. How many of you wanted to get your calculator out? Oh, man. Okay. So the way we come to believe things is this. Evidence and confidence. We have evidence. We have the things that we see, the things that we read, the things that we hear. And we have confidence. We have confidence in the person that's delivering the information. Now, we can hear all kinds of information, right? We hear tons of things all through the week. We hear things like uh, news stories. We hear things about political views. We hear all manner of things. And depending on your bent, you're more confident in one source than you are in another, right? 
So from, from, from time to time, we get conflicting information. We get two different, two different views of pieces of a story, and we don't know which one to believe. We don't know what to believe. In fact, there was a, a period of time that people said that coffee wasn't good for you. And it is crazy. I, I agree. I mean, who would say such a horrible, mean thing? Once upon a time, popcorn caused cancer. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. How about the Atkins diet? Not so good, huh? I'm a proponent of the seafood diet, right? I seafood, I eat it, right? That was for you, Jackson. That was my dad joke. But here's the thing. When you hear stories about, about coffee, and, and coffee is, is good, okay? It's, it's not bad for you. In fact, uh, if you drink 16 cups a day, you'll live 16 years longer. <laughs> Maybe if you have it in moderation, you might live longer. I don't know. I'm going to test it out. Uh, so here's the deal. When we hear a story about something that we think or that we agree with, we have what's called a cognitive bias. If I've decided that something is good for me, if I decided that something I enjoy something or I have a uh, particular bent about something, I listen only really to information that confirms what I already think. It's called a confirmation bias, and all of us struggle with it. We all struggle with a confirmation bias. And all of us in our experience in the real world, we experience it all the time. We know what it is, though, to believe something. We know what it is that I believe that if I go outside when it's raining, I will get wet, right? There's just some things that we believe. And for some of us, we have a trouble when the things that we believe and we hear just a differing opinion about it. So what we're going to discover today is that these two words, faith and belief, their meaning does not change when you take them from outside Christianity and put them inside Christianity. Faith and belief mean the same thing. Religious faith and belief are are often removed from reason and confused with hope. In fact, that's, that's kind of the problem that we, that we run into as we go into the world is that as soon as you talk about having a belief in Jesus, for some reason, some people say, well, you've just disconnected all reason and logic from your mind. And all you're doing is placing all of your thoughts in this hope that something may be true. So when it comes to Christianity, people just take these words and kind of give it a, a life of their own, of its own, and they become, and the words just kind of morph into this understanding that maybe it's just about hope, if, if it's just something good to believe in. It's like saying, well, I'm, I'm waiting for this person to show up. Well, did they show up yesterday? Well, no. Well, did they show up the day before? No. But I sure hope they will. I hope they make it. You ever find yourself in a situation where you are putting hope in something that you just don't know? 
when it comes to Christianity, a lot of us grew up with this statement, you just have to believe. You just have to believe. There are just some things that you, that you have to just, just believe. There, there's stuff that's rational, and then you just have to believe the rest of it. Anyone in here grow up with that type of explanation? Yeah. How many times has that kind of explanation caused you trouble? How many times has that explanation caused you to go, huh, I don't know? They say you just need more faith. You just need to believe more. And you can't do that in other parts of life, right? Because either you believe something or you don't. You either believe it's true or you don't. There's no area of gray. When you say take it by faith, some things they they just say you just have to have more faith. And to all this, I believe if we were to say this and we were standing right next to John who wrote the Gospel of John, and we said there's some things that you just have to have faith. You just have to believe. And John would say, really? Says who? Peter. Peter, who followed Jesus, when he, if he heard that, he'd say the same thing. It, you, just have to, you just have to believe that there's, you just kind of hang your hope out on there and nothing? He says, really, who? Who says that's true? If you ask Jesus, you say, Jesus, is it true? There's just some things that, that you just have to kind of hang, hang out there and nothing because he'd say, really? Really? Where did you get that? Where did you get that kind of an understanding of faith? Because you don't see that in the teachings of Jesus. You don't see that in the New Testament. And I really, I I don't know where it comes from. I think maybe it comes from our discomfort in saying some absolute things in the world today. Anyone get a little bit uncomfortable when you start talking about things that are a little bit absolute? When you have a differing opinion from somebody else? So what I want us to do today is we're going to discover just a completely different paradigm that's worlds away from saying, well, some things you just have to believe. See, the reason that people are oftentimes talked out of Christianity, well, it's because they were never talked into it in the first place. Maybe you were told you're told about what the, the scriptures say about Jesus. You were, you were young enough to believe. Then you grew up. You grew up and someone talked you out of it. Someone talked you out of it and it may, may, may not have even been an in-person conversation. It may have been something that you watched online. It may have been something that you read. It may have been a class that you attended in college. But somewhere along the line, somebody talked you out of what should have been your deepest held belief. They just talked you straight out of it. And that's the reason... That's the reason that I have a burden to know that we are sending students into the world that have a firm understanding of what it means to have faith. That's why Elijah does what he does. In fact, he sat here on the stage last week and said that's really what he does. 
That's what he wants to have. He wants to have students that are solid in their faith. And you know what? We don't just start in our youth ministry. We start that in the nursery. We start it from the very moment that they belong. So here's what happens when kids leave for college. They have a professor. They go to a, to a school, and it's, and it's that professor that has an ax to grind and just starts making some sort of a statement. It makes a statement that is building a straw man, and they put it up, and they just knock it right down. Or maybe it's in the textbook, or maybe it's in a documentary that they read, or some of these uh, uh, YouTube church people, as I was just told, that is a thing. And it completely displaces what we heard. It completely displaces what we heard in Sunday school. It completely takes away what our parents have taught us, what our grandparents deeply believed, or what the pastor said. Because when we just say, you know, there are just some things that you just have to believe, I can't explain it. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, you know what he would tell you? He would tell you, I did not believe because of faith. I did not follow because of faith. Because there's so much more to it than that. There's so much more to, to this understanding of who Jesus is. This is great news. In fact, John tells us that it is great news what he is sharing with us. And we need to pay attention to it. Because the Christian faith is so much more then you just got to believe. And we're going to discover that there's a difference between by faith and because of faith. John left his father's fishing business because of something that he saw. John left the, the side of the, of, the, of the sea because of something that he heard. He left that life that he had lived because of an event that he witnessed. And by the time that he had reached an old age, John, who had outlived all the other apostles, took down to writing what it is that he saw. And John, he was an eyewitness to this journey with Jesus. But John wanted us to know what had happened. But not only what had happened, but why it happened. So when we get to the very end of this, of this letter that he wrote, the gospel, he wrapped it up. He wrapped it all up and gave us a concluding statement at the end and gave us the why behind why he had ch shared the account the way that he did. He said this in John chapter 20, verse 30. Now Jesus, he said, did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. John, John was an eyewitness to the miracles of Jesus. And he calls them signs. And he says he did many others that were not written in this book. But these, the ones that I've shared with you, these are written so that you may believe. And he's not just telling us, hey, just believe. He's building a case for us. He's saying, this is why you should believe. Believe what, though? What does John want us to believe? He's very specific. He wants you to believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is Messiah, that he is the Son of God, with the result that 
By believing, you may have life in his name. The sequence that John lays out for us is is the way that he became a believer. He witnessed an event. He became a follower of Jesus because he witnessed something. There were events that served served as signs and signals. It went something like evidence. There's evidence that served as a sign that helped him to see things in a different way. And because of what he saw, because of the things that he heard, he decided to believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Based on evidence, based on signs, he placed his faith in him. Because because he didn't say, I placed my trust in Jesus, and I just hoped it would all work out. He didn't say, I I placed my hope in Jesus because I don't want to face the, the possibility that, well, it could be right. He said, I place my trust in Jesus because of what I saw, because of what I heard, what I experienced. And with the disciples, and what we find with the disciples as they believed, they believed, right? Then they disbelieved. And, and, and then they, they believed, but they weren't believing in something that was just mere superstition. It wasn't just a, a few parlor tricks. It was faith that moved. It was faith that, that moved. It was when they, when, when they heard what they, what they saw, they, they had faith that moved in and took up residence in them because of the experience, because of the evidence, because of everything that they had seen, that they had heard, that they had experienced. And this was good enough for John. And John said, if it's good enough for me, it's probably good enough for you. And he organized his account in the, what we call the Gospel of John around seven, seven signs, seven things. And, and we're going to look at all seven of them throughout our journey. And they're, they're not just kind of like these, hey, go and be kind kind of things. They're not just, a, uh, you know, that's a cute story about Jesus. These are, these are signs, they're evidence that point to something bigger because it's easy it's easy for us to get uh, kind of caught up in spectacular things, to get enamored with the way that things go. It'd be easy to be just, uh, that John could be enamored. And, but John knew that was a mistake, to be just, just looking at something and going, oh, wow, that's just amazing. Be like if the Eagles won today. <laughs> John knew, John knew that he was watching a revelation of the one to whom the signs pointed. First, the sign. This first sign that we're going to look at is pretty simple. It's, the first sign is water to wine. So John chapter 2, starting verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Three days after Nathaniel had joined the group... That's the timeline. After Nathanael had joined the apostles, there was a wedding at Cana, and the mother of Jesus was there. We're not sure exactly why she was at this wedding. Maybe it was a family connection. Maybe it was friends. Maybe it was catering. Who knows, right? But the mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. So that means John was there. 
And they were part of the celebration, and wedding celebrations could last for days. So when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, Now Mary, knowing a little bit about the way that things go, and as you are entertaining a group of people celebrating a wedding, this could be absolutely embarrassing. If you run out of food, I mean, think about it. If you, if you, if you have a big party, you have, um, you have a wedding, and you only have a cake this big, but you have a couple hundred guests, and you run out of cake, that's pretty embarrassing, right? If you, if you have a plate of nachos, and you have 20 people, and the plate's only this big, you're going to run out of nachos, right? But Mary knew something about Jesus, and she knew that she could call upon her son, She'd call upon her resourceful son. So Mary said to Jesus, they have no wine. And he's like, no duh. And Jesus said to her, woman. Uh, Gentlemen, don't use that at home. I might have experience with that. He didn't say it in a disrespectful tone. It's like saying, my dear woman, my lady, madam, right? He says, woman, my dear woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. (laughs) Or maybe it's like, mom, mom, I've come to save the world, not make anything at this wedding. Right? Mom, I came to save the world, not the wedding. But it was his mom. So we did it. Mary smiles. She turns away and turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Been there, right? Then she just walks away. And as John recounts that what happened, it, it dawns on him. Maybe, maybe the reason as he goes through and he's at the end of his life, he's looking back and he chooses to, choo- to talk about what happened at this wedding at Cana. He thought, this is the perfect introduction. It's the perfect introduction. Not for a wedding, not for guests, but, but it's a perfect introduction for us. So as John's writing this account down, this is the best way. This is the best way for us to introduce what Jesus had come to do in the world. So for us, for the future readers of this this letter, of this gospel, he wrote these things down. So he says, now, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification. There they were, these large jars, huge jars, icons of the covenant, of the traditions, of all the things that Jesus had come to replace. And these jars stood there empty. For the Pharisees, and all the Jews do not eat, unless Mark says, unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the traditions of the elders. Jesus said, you, you leave the commandment of God 
and you hold to the tradition of men. So these, these six big icons of emptiness, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus goes public by displaying that there will be soon something that is replaced that was in place. God's temporary arrangement was soon going to disappear. Something new had come. So each of these jars, each holding 20 or 30 gallons, Jesus said to the servants, fill them up. This is a perfect introduction to his public ministry. It was a foreshadowing of what was going to come. And they filled the jars up, not halfway, but they filled them to the brim. And Jesus said to them, now draw, now draw out and take some to the master of the feast. So they took the wine to the head waiter, the one that was responsible for all the things that were being served at the party. So they took it. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted it, the water now had become wine. The first sign The first sign of the glory, of the wonder of Jesus was water to wine in Cana. And this involves a strong, symbolic discontinuity between the old and the new. A transfer from one to another. The water put into into the jars that were described as a Jewish purification Right, the symbol of the old, the the wine, it symbolizes the new, the new that was coming. And it arrived with the coming of Jesus at his word. The scripture never says that Jesus touched a thing. At his word, the old had been made new. And the master of the ceremony said, you have kept the good wine until now. And he didn't know where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew what was going on. And the master of the feast, he called the the bridegroom and he said to him, Everyone serves the good stuff first. And when people get a little tipsy, then they pour the bad wine. But you have kept the good stuff up until now. And God had as well. The sacrificial system set the stage. It set the stage for the new that was introduced by Jesus. What came before was only a shadow of the things that were to come. And this was more than just a miracle. This is more than just some clear water becoming opaque, right? This is more than than just a, a, a jar full of grape juice, right? depending on how Baptist you are. Smile, right? This was more than a miracle. It was a sign. And it didn't point to something. It pointed to somebody. But nobody understood. Nobody understood that until later. What had come before, all of the things of, you know, the, the, whole, the whole system that was set up with Moses, the Sinai covenant and all of those things, it was beautiful. And it was meaningful. But it had an expiration date. It wasn't forever. It was temporary. 
And it pointed to what would come. What would surpass. What would be overshadowed. What would do away with. And become new. It's just as the wine surpassed the water. Hebrews 10.1 says that the law, the law is only a shadow of the good things that come. Christ had come to fulfill and to terminate the old order and replace it by a new, by new worship, by a new spirit, by new truth that surpasses the old. In the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And he manifested, that is, revealed his glory in the disciples. They believed in him. And why did the disciples believe in Jesus? Because he told them, hey, guys, just have faith? No, they believed in him because there was a reason to believe. The scriptures say after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and the disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. And so it began. But unlike John, our faith does not come by seeing. Our faith comes by hearing. We're not just asked to believe. We're not just required to take it by faith. We're invited to believe what happened based on the testimony of those who were there. We are, when we read the scriptures, you're not just believing in a fairy tale or a story. You're believing a historical, accurate document that is verified across history to be authentic. You're not believing in a story. You're believing in an eyewitness account of people like John, like Peter, like Matthew and Luke, you're, you're believing based on the testimony of what they saw, what they heard, what they experienced in the response of the world. John, John came away from this experience, the scripture said, with faith. And Jesus, he was so convinced. In fact, John was so convinced that as he wrote down his account of the life of Jesus, he was so convinced that, that God loved the world that he said this, John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word that is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we got to see his glory. His glory as the only son from the Father full of grace and truth. John was an eyewitness. He was a person who saw these things. He thought that it was important enough to document what he saw, what he experienced with the rabbi from Nazareth. Not just so that you would know that it would happen, know that it had happened, because it was way, way bigger than that. He said, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, that by believing you may have life in his name. 
my prayer is this. Before, you know, you know, we're just starting this journey, but my prayer is this. Before we finish this journey with John, my hope is that you would believe and that you would have life in his name. Not because, not because you took, um, took it by faith, not because, not because you just had a, a belief, but because you took it from a person that had an eyewitness account of what had happened. You guys, when we read the scriptures, it's not a story. It is a history. It describes to us real events with real people that really took place. So my prayer is this. If your faith in Jesus began because you believed a good bedtime-esque type story, you haven't truly believed if your, if your belief is because you believe that the events of the scriptures are true and that God is true to his word and that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he came, came so that, not that so you would perish, but that you would have everlasting life. Right? That by believing, John said, you may have faith, have life in his name. That by, by, by believing, everything about you changed. By believing, well, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you. You know, there's something interesting that's going on in the, in the nation. There's something interesting that's going on in Kentucky right now. Has anyone heard about that? There's a revival going on in Kentucky. They started a chapel service on Wednesday, and it is still going today. What happens when your faith in Jesus becomes so real that you get into a rhythm of continual worship? What happens in a church when you stop playing a game and you start saying, my faith is so real, it makes a difference in how I live every moment of my life? What happens when your faith becomes so real that you stop resisting the work of the Holy Spirit inside you? What happens? Do you know when we talk about revival, now I grew up in a Baptist church and I, I know exactly what revival is. We think when a revival happens, that means that an evangelist is coming and we're going to get some people from the outside to get saved. Do you know what happens in a revival? The people that are in the church get saved. The people that are in the church get revived. Have you fallen asleep? Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to get personal. Yeah, I did. Have you fallen asleep? Has your faith become something that went on the back burner about the time that you graduated high school? And you always said, you know, when I get, when I, you know, after I graduate college or after I, after I get married or after I have kids, you know, it's all going to change. Well, you know what? After I get through this uh, rough patch at work and we just kept on. And we kept on, and we denied the work of the Spirit in our lives. And we lived in this place where our belief, 
it was based on something we thought was a story. My challenge to you over the next weeks is this. Will you ensure that your belief is based on the evidence of Jesus? As told to us by the eyewitness account of John and Matthew and Mark and the many others that died for their belief. They died for what they believed. They didn't recant. They didn't back down. And that belief sparked a movement that changed the world. And I believe that there's an opportunity for revival to break out in your heart today. And I just want you to know that Jesus wants to be made real in you. He wants you to stop playing games. And he wants you to engage in life. We'll find out later that Jesus says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but that Jesus has come so that you may have life, not a mediocre life, but that you would have life and have it to the full. If you're a person that feels right now, you know what, my life is just full of something, but it is not full of the fullness of God. I want to challenge you. Dive in and start asking God, how can I truly believe? Because it's not just a story. It's an event that changed the world. And I believe that, I believe it can change the world again. Would you pray with me?